So let's get into it. Hi, Natasha. Hi. Who are you for those many of us that uh, are yet to be blessed by the presence of Natasha? Wow, that was a lot. That was a big That's interview. a loaded question. That's a loaded question. You go. All right. <clears throat> so for this audience in particular, so I'm a physical therapist who specializes and focuses my practice on concussion. So I own a brick and mortar clinic in Nanaimo, British Columbia, where I have clients that travel from around the, around North America to come work with me for what I call intensive weeks of rehab. I also have clinicians within the team who work, help and support our local community. I have just launched a program called Concussion Nerds to mentor other clinicians to becoming kick-ass concussion providers. I like to speak. I'm a mom. I have three kids. I have an amazing husband. I like to be outdoors. There's a snippet. What doesn't she do, folks? What doesn't she do? <laughs> Spectacular. Um, what got you into physio? And we'll, we'll talk about concussions. But what, what started your path towards the physio life? Yeah, so when I went to, like, when I first went to university, so I went to UBC, my goal was to actually be a pediatric surgeon. Oh. And then I discovered that I would have to do biochem, ochem, all those chems. Um, and I learned quickly that they weren't necessarily my strongest suit. Um, and then I just had some life events happen as well that actually forced me to kind of step back and take a break from school in my sure. second year of university. And when I was doing that break, it was like, what the, I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to be in medicine. I knew I wanted to be in health. Like that was a, a given. Uh, and I started spending some more time with my cousin who had become a quadriplegic oh. from a motorcycle accident. And he was talking about like his rehab and the people that really impacted his life were the therapists that he got to work with. Uh, so I went and volunteered at GF Strong and kind of then decided to look at that physio route a bit more and went and shadowed some clinics and shadowed some sport physio and said, like, yep, this is, this is what I'm going to do. So that's what got me into physio in particular in the beginning. It's so cool that so many clinicians and coaches kind of have that experience. Like I know Frank has a very similar experience. I think John even has same kind of thing. And it's just, it's, I know people switch careers a lot. Like I, I switched literally from geology um, after my master's, but no way. Yeah. And so you don't really think about, you know, you're 16, 17, 15, whatever age you are, and you have this experience with a physio or a clinician, you don't really necessarily think how impactful it can be until you're like, Oh, this is really cool. That person was awesome. I want to do that. And it's just, it's, it's nice to back up and have a little perspective and especially when we're like, I, I coach a team and work with a bunch of youth athletes. It's just interesting to step back and say like, I need to be careful because I, we can have an impact either way here. And I, I let, it's just nice to reflect on sometimes. I, and I think as a, as a coach and as a, as a youth coach in particular, like your impact is massive without even realizing you're having that impact. Like, yeah. So I've worked with, uh, I work with a lot of youth athletes and I have a couple, I had a couple in particular. One was a young hockey player who was going into his grade 12 year. And another was a young basketball player who was going into her grade 12 year. And they had both had like thought processes that they thought they wanted to do after graduation. And concussion rehab is very different. Like I'm not your typical physical therapist on what I do with my rehab clients. And both of those students came back to me and said, they're like, can I ask you a question? It's like, of course. And they're like, how do I do what you do? They were like, you, they're like, you made such an impact on me being able to get back into sport. And then, but just life, like, how do I do what you do? And I was just like, okay. Yeah. Got that's real really awesome. cool. But like, that's like, 
wow, to know that you just had that positive influence on someone to move them to do something is pretty powerful. Short answer. We're awesome. You know, no big deal. We never, we never do anything wrong. Everyone loves us, you know, (laughs) obviously normal Saturday morning stuff. Fair conversation every day. Yeah, of course. I I change lives, you know, daily. (laughs) No big deal. Everyone loves me. Um, so what, what took you from, I'm not going to say general physiotherapy because that's a weird word to use, but from physio to concussions, what streamlined you down? Yeah. So initially it was by fluke, which then like opened up this door of me exploring why I became so passionate about it. And it's like, I actually really only got that clarity probably within the last year, to be honest. So, um, I was always like, once I got into physio school, um, I would like, I had the privilege to shadow like the physio of the Canucks at the time and to do some ortho shadowing and because that's what I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I, we had a, a guest instructor who was a neurotherapist and she brought in uh, a couple of her clients to like explain some of their stories and show some of her skills. And I was blown away um, with the impact this woman had on these people's lives and the skill set that she could do with her hands. I was just like, I don't even understand how this is physically, like, I don't get how it's possible. Um, so I, business. right. It's literally, I said, like, she's got butter hands and they're magical. Like, <laughs> um, so I spent a lot of time shadowing in that clinic then for the end of my physical therapy career or schooling, and then went straight into neuro when I graduated. So I worked in the beginning with a lot of stroke, Parkinson's, spinal cord, MS, um, that sort of route. And I was in Vancouver at the time. Um, and then we relocated to Vancouver Islands. My husband got transferred for work and there was, I couldn't find a clinic that did neuro. There was nowhere for me to work. And I was like, well, I could try to fit into an ortho clinic or I could just open my own. <laughs> so you do it. You got to do it right. Yeah. So we opened symphony and then we hadn't been practicing very long, but I had an OT who had a client who had had a concussion and she just wasn't getting better. Mm. Um, and this OT was like, I don't know what to do. And it was kind of this, well, Natasha's the brain physio. She works with neuro people, concussions, the brain. Let's send her to Natasha. And this poor client walked into my clinic and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, ha- no clue. I took a course that weekend so I could at least do something. Um, and she's like, that client was amazing. And I'm very transparent with my clients, especially if I don't, I'm like, if I'm like, this is new to me. Like if you're willing to learn with me, like I want to help you and I want to like go on this path with you. And so she was, sorry, there's my puppy. I can see her. Him. Very cute. <laughs> He's only four months old. Oh, um, but I started working with her and then that same OT referred me like another one and another one. Um, and I was really fascinated. So like, I think like yourself too, like, I don't like seeing the same thing over and over again. Like I don't like monotony. Um, and I get bored very easily and you can't get bored with concussion. Like it is every person is different. And I learned that so quickly because they all came in with, I have dizziness and headaches and balance issues. And they were completely different people with completely different root drivers. And I was just like, okay. And then as I started treating more people, what I kept hearing was no one understands what I'm going through. It's been this long. Here was the initial advice I was given that was really wrong here. Like there was all these things that kept coming up and up and up. And what it came back to like, 
it hit my heart so hard that I was like, this is not okay. And I need to, like, I need to do something with that. And what it actually like took me full circle back to was when I was 17, my dad had an, an accident. So a log rolled off the back of a truck on his head. And he's like super lucky. No, like no bleed, no fractured, like just wow. must not have been a huge log, like just major concussion. Um, but it turned my family's life upside down for a while and no one educated us. I mean, this was 21 years ago, so you didn't rehab concussions 21 years ago, sure. but you just got your bell rung and you moved on. Exactly. And, you know, here's Tylenol three and codeine for your headaches. Mm. You know, you can't go to work anymore because when you're up high, you get super dizzy and you'll fall off the house. Like, um, so no one educated him, like my dad, no one educated my mom, no one educated my brother and I. Um, and so when I started seeing people come into the clinic 21 years later, that we're still getting really crappy advice and not being educated, it like just pulled on something inside of me and just kind of lit this fire. And I'm just like, this is, am I allowed to swear? Oh yeah, go. I was like, okay. Jared's I was like, been on here. Come on. I was like, basically it was like, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. And like, this is not okay. And something needs to be done. And so that's kind of fueled everything I've done since then. Yeah. If you guys have, if this is not your first podcast here, you'll notice that there's a lot of similarities between the people that come out on their stories. It starts with this was wrong. No one else was fixing it. I need to fix the bullshit. And you just insert Honey Badger's name and it kind of just expands from there, just, which yeah. is awesome. It's how it should be. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I like got into the concussion space and then why I'm still there and pushing for, for it. Yeah. And we're going to dive deeper um, into some of the specifics of those, but first why do we talk about concussions? Why do we need to have this conversation? Which seems, sounds kind of silly, but I think bringing everyone uh, in our audience to the same spot is always a good idea before we get, get to the more complicated things and fun things yeah. we can nerd out on. Um, it's like, why should we care if you get your bell rung? So we never used to care, right? So like you said, it was like, you get your bell rung, you shake it off, you go back out there. We didn't think back when that concussions had any significance to how we function as human adults. We know today that a concussion affects your entire brain function and can, and most people recover just fine. But if you have untreated concussions or you have compounding concussions, they will, they can affect your mental health. And like years later, they can have this effect, right? So they can affect your mental health. They can affect your memory. They can affect how you function. They can affect so many different aspects of your life. And we know this now that if we know what they do and we know the negative compounding effect they can have, wouldn't we want to understand it better and know if there's anything we could do either pre or when we sustain one to try to mitigate any long-term risk factors. There are studies looking at prevalence of concussion with things like neurological diseases down the road, like Parkinson's there's, and this is all what's being researched heavily now that we didn't even kind of know or look into before. So important today, it affects your brain, your brain affects your whole body, has long-standing and potential long-term complications in life later. Um, but there's things that you can do to mitigate that as long as you understand it. So speaking of understanding it, um, mm -hmm. I'm going to do my job of asking questions that no one likes to ask to feel embarrassed because that's what I'm here for. What is All a right. concussion? Like, yeah. So a concussion is a blow or a hit to the brain, body, or neck or elsewhere that basically transmits a force up to the brain. Sorry, it's brain. Did I say it hits the brain? It hits the head. 
<laughs> neck or body that translate a for- that translates a force up to the brain. Basically, it causes a temporary, we say temporary because it's reversible and it's treatable, neurological dysfunction within the brain. It's a micro microstructural, physiological, and metabolic injury. So in saying that, it's basically you have microstructural damage or physiological damage or what's like an inflammatory process that happens that affects your ability for your brain to function. It's not permanent, Um, but that's what's happening in the moment. And it can affect widespread things. It can affect cognition. It can affect balance. It can affect emotion. It can affect sleep. It can affect like overall function and and vestibular and all those pieces too. And from what I understand, there's, like just kind of two broad categories, how it can happen is it's, I've heard, I remember what it is now, but it's basically direct versus indirect, whereas you get a contact to your head versus not. Can you speak on that a little bit? Um, I tend to not separate them. Educate me more. Yeah. So, I mean, you can absolutely, so it can be either a direct blow to the head itself, which was what people used to think. So old school definition of concussion hit to the head and you lose consciousness. Got it. Right. So if you didn't have those two things, doctors would be like, you don't have a concussion today. Yes, absolutely. A hit to the head can be it, but it can be a hit to anywhere else in your body. Or if you think of an MVA too, right. The force of the vehicle, your head hasn't actually been hit and your specific body hasn't been hit, but the forces have transmitted through and you get that whiplash acceleration, deceleration piece that can be that indirect piece that can absolutely still cause a concussion. So that acceleration, deceleration injury in particular, we now know too, you do. So you don't need to be hit in the head. You do not need to lose consciousness. And I think actually it's maybe 10% of people who experience a concussion actually lose consciousness. That is super low, extremely low and loss of consciousness doesn't necessarily reflect severity or length of recovery time anymore either. Oh, Yeah. So there's been a lot of progress. And so if you see if, and I see this a lot too, like you'll still see physicians who, oh, you didn't lose consciousness. You don't have a concussion. Like get a, go get a different opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's just old information that they just, they're just not updated on. That's all. Got it. Okay. So I'm going to dive into a tangent right now before I forget more than anything. So let's just get super specific with our setting. Say you're on the volleyball court. And um, either get hit in the head or run into something and get whiplash or you contact somebody else and you have something that could resemble a concussion. Uh, what should you look for acutely and more like long term mm-hmm. to say either I can play or I should probably go see somebody right now? So I, so I did a little look into volleyball when I knew we were going to chat. There we go. <clears throat> and you picked a good sport because it does have one of the lowest concussion rates. I saw that. let's go us right yes volleyball players like well done um but obviously they can still happen usually tend to happen most in practice um is kind of what some of it's showing and then games and then warm-up is kind of like the tier the hierarchy and it's either a ball to the head a collision with another player or head hitting the floor tend to be the three mechanisms in volleyball that will lead to a concussion so general rule of thumb if there's any reason that you suspect someone could have a concussion, pull them from play <clears throat> because symptoms may not show up right away. Symptoms can have a delayed effect of even those initial ones showing up of at least four to six hours, and they can even show up the next day. So if you see someone take like a massive blow to the head or a hard smack to the floor or whatever it is, and you're like, 
and it makes you cringe, yeah. they should probably not play the rest of the game. Some of the symptoms that tend to show up pretty quickly <clears throat> are light and noise sensitivity. So like they, if they open their eyes, a lot of it, you'll just see them like cover their eyes or try to shield or they'll squint. Yeah, one of these? All of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden really bright. Um, so light sensitivity, headaches, dizziness, nausea, those are kind of the most common right away. So yeah, so those are the immediate. Um, if you have someone that actually can do like a brief assessment, they'll look at things like eye movement and near point convergence um, and stuff as well, because those things can show up. Again, though, they might not show up right away. Yeah. So if you suspect a concussion, don't play. Got it. <laughs> Um, and give it at least 24 hours before mm -hmm. you go back. Got it. Um, I feel like we kind of have to bring up, it's Ronan's law, right? Ronan's law. Yeah. So maybe we can just talk about the consequences of not dealing with these things just to, because I feel like a lot of times with any of these high consequence items, people say, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's not me. It's, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my kids. It's not going to happen to my player. And I think we need to just, as, as light and peppy as we keep it on this, we need to just yeah. emphasize the severity of what could happen yeah and it's so true like i give i give or i offer concussion education testing i offer a concussion education sessions we do like preseason screening and no one ever thinks they need to do it until their kids had a concussion mm -hmm. um so rowan stringer <clears throat> was a 17 year old rugby player in ontario and depending on where you read she experienced two to three concussions within a week's time frame, And she was experiencing symptoms of dizziness and headache. And um, they know this now because it was seen in text message exchanges between her and her friends, but she never informed her coaches and she never informed her parents. They were going into a big, I think it was tournament for her and she wanted to play. And she got hit again in that game and she basically never woke up. So they think Rowan passed away of second impact syndrome. So the reason we pull you from play and we say, like, just take the 24 hours is when you get a concussion, you get this metabolic cascade of this is called the neurometabolic cascade that happens in your brain. So it's influxes of like calcium and potassium and cell damage and your blood brain barrier can break down and you go into energy crisis because you're cells like your mitochondria can't keep making enough energy to help with the oxidative stress that's happening within the brain. If you get a second concussion, while that process is still acute and happening, you just don't have the reserves and the energy. And then so there's, there's still people that are like, uh, oh, second impact syndrome may or may not exist. Like there's definitely still depending on where you read. Um, but if you're already in the middle of an energy crisis and you already can't keep up your, and you're an anaerobic metabolism, and then you could give yourself a second honking concussion on top of that. Like where, what, how's your brain going to cope? Yeah. So the severity and the damage you will have done is not worth the medal or the win or whatever you're chasing after. Yeah. So in Ontario now, so Rowan's parents brought that to legislation and that's where, as far as I know, you're the only province that actually has a law, which is crazy, crazy. Um, and so Rowan's law is 
basically based around that return to play strategy and the like the requirements for teams to have the education and, and that piece of things. But um, it's important because you never know. I did a I did a presentation for a rugby club. And the amount I said, you know, how many of you have ever had a, like a hit on the field or experienced what might have been a concussion and had like any of these symptoms and all these hands go up? And then I said, and how many of you kept playing? And almost every hand stayed up. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm like, I'm going to tell you a story. Her name was Rowan Stringer. Yeah. And it was Whenever you like, start a story with was, that's, you know, impact. Yeah. So that is the importance of it. So not only that long-term piece, but like, this is why we take those precautions of when in doubt, sit it out. Like that's where that phrase, that's why that phrase is so important with my teams too. When I work with them, we actually sign a concussion pledge every year. So when you talk to athletes and some of these studies that have come out on why they don't report a concussion, Some of the reasons are, I don't want to let my team down. I'm scared of losing my spot on like the starting line. I don't want to let my parents down. It's not that big of a deal. Like very rarely when I remember read the list, like the reasons weren't about them. Yeah. Right. And so as a team, as coaches, as as teammates, like we need to create this better conversation and culture around how we support each other and how you're actually doing the team something better and yourself better by reporting it. Because the longer you take to report it, A, you're putting yourself at risk, but the longer your recovery is actually going to be and the more games you're actually going to miss. And that's been proven in study after study after study. The sooner you report it, the better we can support you, the faster you're going to get back to play safer. So what we do is that we have to have this pledge. I modified it from, I think it's Australian. I think it's from Australia soccer, to be honest. And there's a, a player component, um, a teammate, a coach section and a parent section because they were youth athletes. And it was, you know, as an athlete, I agree to be aware of the signs and symptoms of concussion and, and report if something happens. And then, and I will support my teammates and da, 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 da. And then same thing as a coach, like I will, be knowledgeable on the signs and symptoms of concussion. I will support my athlete. I will ask questions. And then there's for parents too, because we know the pressure can come from all these different places. So it brings everyone in and on the same page to be like, okay, let's do this together. That's in a way that's smart and safe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You mentioned the the baseline testing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just, talk in the context of like these team sports because you get more opportunities to do baseline testing. Um, uh, and like a lot of uh, our subscribers are just recreational athletes and they may not have this, but if we start these conversations, they might be able to kind of make their own in a way. Um, yeah. So what, what's it look like? Like, is it cognitive? Is it reactions? Yeah. So I look at baseline testing a little bit different, I think, than the standard. So what you'll see a lot of the time is people go in and do these, like, and I've done it, but like, we do these mass baseline tests that just is either like an impact test, which is cognitive and just these things. And for me, a baseline test is, is great, but then also use the data from it. So a baseline test should include the multiple domains that can be affected by concussion. So you have a baseline. So you should, there should be some balance testing. There should be some vision screening. There should be some cognitive screening. Um, there should be some like 
motor control screening um, through that. And then you have what you get out of that is you see where someone is already strong and you could see where someone could potentially do some improvement. So an example might be if you do a visual, a quick visual field test and you see that someone is a little restricted in their peripheral field, that's going to limit their ability to see an opponent coming from that side or see something that which may then increase their risk. So maybe you do some training as a team or amongst yourself with some tools to then increase to work on partially increasing that peripheral field as well. So there's lots of different apps out there now. Um, some are great, some are probably not so great. Less so. Um, but I use a system called, part of what I use is a system called EQ Brain Performance. Um, and you can, as an individual, have that app on your phone and have that access. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and it's one of those things that a baseline test is not what gives you the concussion diagnosis, right? So we can, we can diagnose a concussion without a baseline, without difficulty. Got it. Um, a baseline test helps with having that snapshot or that picture of what was your health before the concussion. So... I'm not holding you back from returning to play from something that was already your norm. Yeah. I've, this is again, another tangent, but Hey, we're here for it. Um, I've got a, a buddy that played football here at Queens and they'd always tell like the horror stories of the kids that would intentionally underdo their baseline testing because when they got pulled off the field and they were cognitively um, impaired, they, they would match it. They're like, Oh, I'm fine. See, so it's always, it's what I always kind of picture when I hear these baseline tests talks. And it, again, it's different based on the culture, like the volleyball community is a bit different than the football community, which I'm sure is different than the hockey community and all these kind of things. And it's just yeah. an interesting thing to try to account for when you're doing this testing. Absolutely. I mean, there's all that, that fear of sandbagging it. Right. And so mo I will say that most of the athletes that I've worked with, like they always want to be the best everything. That's true. <laughs> and so especially when we're doing it in a bit of a team environment, there's a natural competitive nature of like, I remember we did it with one of the hockey teams and we did a portion of it. So we did like my goggles and my ocular motor screen and all that stuff. They also have no idea when you do like my baseline test is like, I have a force plate where we look at balance. I put V and G goggles on them and look at how their eyes move. This is not a normal baseline. Um, this is cool. We do, I do like eye tracking with like a right eye system and like they have no clue mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. And they couldn't fake that crap if they tried. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't even know what I want to see. Um, so those are really a beautiful objective measures for me to have. Um, but then we do, I use the EQ app. So I set the whole team up on it. I love it because it has symptom scores. It has objective stuff. So I can monitor, they're up Island. They're an hour and a half away. So I can monitor them remotely. So I do hybrid care. So I don't need to see them every single time. Like I can do some initial management with them still home virtually because I can have their data in front of me. Yep. But we put them out, we brought them out on this like giant field and we spaced them all out. And so like whatever. And it was absolutely batty listening to them because they'd all get like, what'd you get? What'd you get? Oh, fuck, like, you beat me. Oh, I'm redoing it. And I was like, they're fine. Yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> these, were, these were 16 to 20 year old boys. So it was, yeah. it was very comical. Like just the natural competitiveness yeah. within them to like, want to be the best. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
that's hilarious. Oh boy. Um, one thing that we didn't touch on, I'm looking at my notes because I'm trying to remember all this stuff because a lot of things. Um, we, we touched on a little bit of like the grades of damage. Hmm. We don't grade it anymore. That was my question because we don't, I haven't really heard it talked about like that anymore. So what, what did it used to look like and what's it look mm-hmm. like now? Yeah. So they used to look at like, you had a grade one, grade two, grade three kind of level of concussion. And so like loss of consciousness was the most severe concussion, right? That would have been like a grade three concussion. Um, but what we've discovered is that that initial severity of injury doesn't no long, like doesn't correlate to very well to length of recovery time and symptom severity. So when we think of concussion, 70% of people should recover and do, I shouldn't say should do recover in what we consider that normal window of for an adult, like symptoms have disappeared kind of within two ish weeks. And it takes about four weeks for the brain to like fully heal and recover. Right. So symptom resolution does not equal brain healed. That's, that's a really important point actually. <laughs> um, 70% of people recover in that two to four week window. 30% of people can go on with to develop persistent concussion symptoms. And that can last anywhere from months to years. So what they're finding is the severity of the injury isn't correlating with, do we, are we a two weeker or are we a four year person? So that's why we just don't refer to it as grades anymore. So do we know what, yeah, so no, yeah, no. There, we do know that, um, we know a couple things. Um, one is there's certain things that we know will prolong, like usually prolong recovery. So if you have a, a headache or a migraine history, um, if you have learning disabilities, so ADHD, dyslexia, if you're female, <laughs> um, get screwed sometimes. Eh? You do get screwed. Um, for ladies too, there's been some studies that have found if you experience your concussion in the later half of your cycle, that could prolong recovery, not put into PCS, but just prolong recovery a little bit. So those are factors that are tend to be linked with a little bit of a longer recovery already. Um, in terms of those that go on to develop PCS, we, they're still trying to figure it out. We figured there's, we do know that having um, efficient time, accurate, acute care is a really big factor. Um, but then beyond that, there's, there's thoughts of like socioeconomic status playing into it pre like psychological mental health status playing into it. There's just, it's such a dynamic thing, um, that we don't have, a we don't really know. Too many factors. Yeah. Um, I want to dive into the, the acute care side, because I think yeah. this is super interesting and I don't know really anything about it. So somebody walks in to your clinic or a clinic, whatever it is off the field, um, and they go through an assessment and they say, Hey, I have a, you have a concussion. What, what the next steps look like? Yeah. So for my, for my athletes that I baseline test, I'm in contact with them within hours, um, of having their concussion, which is amazing because I can give them proper, like, here's what you're going to do for the rest of the day. So general guidelines for the first 24 to 48 hours, it's rest, cognitive, physical rest. You don't want to sleep for the first four to six, because that is where if it were something more serious and consciousness levels were going to fluctuate, think subdermal hematoma, like that's where that would happen. Obviously, if you experience any red flags, you're going to go to the emergency room anyways. But so you don't want to sleep within the first four to six hours. But after that, if you want to sleep, sleep. 
like rest for the for, for those two things in that time frame too. Um, yes, kind of like limit screens, limit cognitive activity. You don't want to do anything really that increases symptoms in those first two days. Um, stay really hydrated, eat anti-inflammatory foods, don't eat a bunch of crap. Um, and then now what we want to do is on that day three, this is actually when we want to start light aerobic activity. But as an athlete, <laughs> I get to play uh, now. Light aerobic activity means a different thing that I've learned to many of my athletes. And so the point of it, it's a sub, it's a sub threshold aerobic activity, which means we're going to begin to move our bodies staying below where symptoms escalate. And we start that on day three. The reason we still say like connect with someone who understands how to rehab concussion as fast as possible, because I want to guide you through finding that subthreshold piece. I also want to listen to what your symptoms you're experiencing. So I can start to be cued to, is there autonomic things happening? Are we, did, was there a lot of dizziness because that's predictive of potential vestibular. So we're going to pull some of the rehab stuff in a little sooner, depending on what you tell me is going to guide me and okay, what else might I give you starting on day like four or five to start to play with? What other things might be planned to play? One of the, th- I would say for everyone, food, but then also we get this uncoupling of our nervous system a lot. And what happens with concussion is we tend to get a more sympathetic dominant system and as a over parasympathetic. So the other thing that I recommend everyone do is breathing and like meditation, because those are two things that you can pull up on your, well, A, you can do on your own. B, you can do guided meditations on your phone. And we know they have a very positive influence on the nervous system. And so anything we can do to help facilitate the nervous system into being more into that rest and recovery, as opposed to that fight or flight, we want to do. So there's also some new research coming out about getting in to see someone that to do laser therapy right away. So I have a laser in my clinic and we'll laser in that first week to help decrease inflammation and help stimulate the mitochondria and help with energy. Um, there are studies that are looking at hyperbaric oxygen therapy <clears throat> about, and then it helping expedite recovery as well, because you're oxygenating all the plasma and the cells of the body. So then you now have oxygen. So you're not operating so much anaerobically, right? So there's some new, that's newer research that's coming out to support that acute phase. It is not standard practice yet. Um, but if you have a therapist that recommends those things, like go for it. Sweet. I always love the new tech stuff. It's always cool. It's so great. Tech, I'm like, I, there's, oh my gosh, every day I'm like, oh my God, I want this. And I want this. There's this candy. This candy. Oh, there's this, this, I'm going to tangent for one second. Oh. There's this system I want. It's called an FNIR system. So, and I can never say the words. So I'm just going to say FNIRs, functional something, something, something. What it lets me do is in real time measure blood flow to your cortex. Ooh. So I can like put this thing because technology boggles my brain and like, thank God we have really smart people in this world who create this stuff. Um, you put this system on your head and then it's pulled up. There's different ones so on a computer or an iPad and you see real time blood flow like to the brain. So, so it's like literally I could be doing my 
I don't have it. I don't have it. I like dream of having it, but I could be doing my like aerobic, like, or my Buffalo treadmill test with this on their head. And I could see that moment where like, we start to shift and get decreased blood flow or increased blood flow, or it would just be so cool. It's like, it's like having them in a really crazy intense MRI while they're doing yeah. exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. So many, I just need a private investor. Uh, this uh, podcast sponsored by no. <laughs> sponsored by you. Wait for it. You could be the new sponsor. Get but there's so, there's just such cool tech to, and, and in this area too, like in the concussion space and understanding how we like measure brain function, orthopedic injuries that aren't getting better. Like what the heck is going on? Is there a, like, is there, are we looking at a brain component? Right. So there's just so many cool things coming out to help us kind of learn how to facilitate that. And yeah, this actually leads into one of my questions I wanted to ask Um, in terms of advancing concussion therapy and rehab, is it more of a um, education piece and getting people more uh, up to date with current research or is it more of a technological barrier that's holding us back? I think it's both. Tell me more. I think. The biggest thing is that there is still a lack of education. And so if we don't understand, um, if we don't understand why something's happening, if we don't understand the elements of it, if we don't understand how things communicate just on like a neuro and not like a neurophysiological level, um, then that's going to impact your ability to be specific in your treatment. That's going to impact your ability to understand what type of treatment and intervention to give. Um, my whole thing is that I'm like, my mission is to evolve the conversation and culture of concussion. And I truly believe that frontline clinicians are going to be the people that do that. Um, because we continuously have these conversations and then more people hear it and there's more conversations. Um, and a lot of the initial kind of poor care, let's say I see is because of that lack of education. It's that not understanding that the autonomic nervous system is the foundation for everything. And we're challenging and the the clients are being challenged at a level that exceeds their autonomic capacity. When you exceed someone's autonomic capacity, your treatment is considered a threat. It's no longer beneficial. So there's absolutely an education piece to it um, as a foundation, I think, and you need a really amazing foundation. And then what the technology gives us is the ability to refine is the ability to see deeper, is the ability to start to like dig in. So in my clinic, um, if you treat a concussion, every every concussion clinic should have it, even like the vestibular first goggles. So the ability to see the eyes in the dark because putting the eyes in the dark can tell us so much more about brainstem activity, um, frontal cortex activity, spatial awareness, vestibular influences, cerebellum that we just can't see in room light. So that is one piece of tech that if you are tr- if you truly want to treat concussion and you're kind of getting into this persistent stage and people aren't getting better, like that'll give you more information, right? Understanding like, yes, we can do smooth pursuits and stuff at bedside, but when we get devices that can measure that even closer so we can be like, oh, like that gay stability to the right is like, is not so great. There's stuff coming out that's showing us for people who have this persistent dizziness, for example, it's tied to, it can be tied to this element of gaze stability that we're not able to see with the naked eye. So for some of our people having this diagnostic ability 
to be like, this is what's happening, A, supports them in understanding that there's something actually happening. B, finally is like, it's not all in your head <laughs> because too many times when someone doesn't know how to support someone and then you get the history list of, I've seen person A, B, C, D, E, and now I'm just being told it's all psychological. It's like, no, like the, the ability to have the diagnostics, to know what we're looking for in those diagnostics, which goes back to that education, can really help us build this solid place to then treat from, educate from, support from. That was, that was a long answer to answer your question. No, that was, that was exactly what I wanted. I get to sit <laughs> back and listen. Come on. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I want to wrap this up with an open-ended nerd talk. And you've touched on this a little bit. Um, in five, 10 years, everything goes perfect for Natasha. Life is oh. amazing. Impact is perfect. What, what do you want the industry standards to look like and uh, what role do you want to have in that? Oh, did you <laughs> see like there's, there's instant, like I am a, hold on. I'm just going to stay here for a second. I like tears behind my eyes just from me, like you asking that question. I'm a, I wear my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> um, and even just like thinking about what I want that to be, like, it gives me like the warm fuzzies. I'm all about the warm fuzzies. Oh, Come on. Right? There's so many pieces. So I literally, like, I have this vision for what like Natasha Wilch brand is about and the vehicles I want to do to, again, the big mission of evolve, evolution of concussion, um, conversation and culture. And expand that to like brain optimization and like brain health as well. But I have these vehicles that I want to do this through. The dream would be that concussions are identified appropriately. So like every first point of access for most people is a general practitioner. Mm -hmm. So that every general practitioner, they don't need to understand everything. They can't, God, that they need to know too much stuff. But that at a baseline, they understand how to identify a concussion. And then they immediately refer to a provider who knows how to support. That we have a space of true multi multidisciplinary care where this element of holding on to a client goes the fuck out the window and we understand here's what I do. Here's what Jordan does really well. Here's how we're going to work together. Here's how we're going to support so that people are getting access to care faster. So they're recovering faster and it decreases the percentage of people that are living with persistent symptoms from an organization standpoint. I want to see policies and procedures and actual understanding happening in the school systems. I want to see it in the recreational leagues. I want to see it in the professional leagues. I want to see it across the board. I want to be the person going into those organizations and helping build that framework and build that structure and educate the coaching staff and educate the students. I want there to be that pressure of letting my team down and that conversation and that narrative to could be completely flipped on its fucking head to here's how we support each other. Here's how we're going to help you get through this. Here's how you're going to come out of this stronger 
from the growth you've learned with this experience than going in. There's lots, but that's like, let's go. Let's go. That's a big, that's a big piece of it. Love it. So if, you know, cause we have so many influential people listening to this right now. Um, if you're a coach, a league organizer or anybody, um, and you've been inspired by this conversation and you want to take action, what do, as Megan Bob would say? Connect. Um, honestly, I, I connect with every single person that reaches out to me. I love it. Community connection is my favorite thing in the world. Um, and I think that's what makes the world go around. So <laughs> um, you can reach me in a couple different ways. Uh, one, you can text me uh, at 250-999-3932. Um, I am also active on Instagram regularly. So it's at natasha.wilch on Instagram. Those are honestly probably the two best ways. He's busy. Yeah. See, it's so interesting that like we got to the point of technology where it's like, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm a physiotherapist or I'm a doctor or I'm a whatever it is. It's like, yeah, DM me on Instagram because I'm there most. 20 years ago, if you said like, go find me on social media, it's like, who, who do you think you are? What's your email, talking, sir? I was talking with a PT, yes, a couple of days ago. She's starting to open her own practice and is and build a caseload. And I was like, she's like, what do I do? I said, you know, PT schools need to evolve with the times. And I feel like, there needs to be social media marketing 101 because it's not going away. And it's another way that as physical therapists, I think we can have impact and support people without them necessarily being right in front of us in our clinics. But I do think there needs to be education in how you do it well and smartly as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But thank you so much. This was awesome. This was a lot of information. I got to sit back and listen, which is always wonderful for me. You guys are smart, so I'm just gonna let you let you go. I don't even know if we made it through all your notes. Oh, I we did. Oh no, I've been checking. Trust me, I've been okay. checking. Um, no, that was fantastic. Um, for well, on behalf of everyone listening, because I'm here, uh, Natasha, thank you so much. Uh, this has been awesome. Like I said, uh, we'll definitely have you back again. Uh, we'll keep nerding out as we do and keep being mission driven as we do. But until then, thank you listeners for coming. Uh, and we will see you next time. Take care guys.